TED Audio Collective. You want to hear something interesting? There are thousands of people who walk within the halls of Columbia Business School every day. Students, faculty, staff, visitors. And of those thousands of people, you know who I see the most frequently? Not my management colleagues, not my beloved students. It's Kevin, our evening janitor. I have many late nights at the office, particularly when I'm teaching, which means I see Kevin a lot. And I welcome our conversations because every now and then I need a break or to procrastinate. And sometimes when I see him, he has his AirPods in, not listening to music, not listening to a podcast, but talking on the phone to his colleagues in the union, offering them advice on some situation or another. Kevin is an executive board member at large of the TWU Local 241 Union, which is made up of nearly 1,000 individuals who work at universities in Manhattan. One evening, I asked Kevin what he enjoys about being part of the union. He said it brings positivity and a sense of purpose to his work life. He enjoys ensuring that he and his fellow cleaners, mechanics, and security guards have a voice in their workplaces and aren't being taken advantage of. It's powerful to hear Kevin in action, because I'm telling you, he could teach negotiation better than my colleagues or I might. And what is clear from talking to him? He is dedicated to strategizing with and advocating for his fellow colleagues, supporting them in unique ways to get them what they need, whether that's a promotion, a salary increase, or anything else work-related. I mean, that's the point of a union, after all, to ensure that people are operating under humane working conditions. Seems pretty simple, right? But until very recently, unions have been falling out of favor and in some cases gotten a bad rap. So what do unions actually do? And what can we in our organizations learn from them? Dupacanola, this is TED Business. Our speaker today is Margaret Levy, who's a professor of political science at Stanford University. She's committed to understanding and improving supply chains so the workers behind the goods we consume can operate in sustainable environments. In this talk, Margaret illustrates how labor unions created many of the established practices we benefit from at work, even to this day. She explains how these organizations forge equality and protect workers' rights and calls for a revival of the labor movement in order to build a more equitable future for all. Then after the talk, I'll discuss how labor unions offer a compelling example of what meaningful affinity spaces can look like at work. But first, a quick break. This show is brought to you by Schwab. You're here because you like to keep a pulse on trends in technology. Well, now you can invest in what's trending, in artificial intelligence, big data, robotic revolution, and more with Schwab Investing Themes. It's an easy way to invest in ideas you believe in. Schwab's research process uncovers emerging trends. Then their technology curates relevant stocks into themes. Choose from over 40 themes. Buy all the stocks in a theme as is or customize to better fit your investing goals. All in a few clicks. 
Schwab Investing Themes is not intended to be investment advice or a recommendation of any stock or investment strategy. Learn more at schwab.com slash thematic investing. Hey, TED Business listeners. We're supported by our friends at Working Smarter, a new podcast from Dropbox exploring the exciting potential of AI in the workplace. Working Smarter talks with founders, researchers, and engineers about the things they're building and the problems they're solving with the help of the latest AI tools. Tools that can save them time, improve collaboration, and create more space for the work that matters most. On Working Smarter, hear practical discussions about what AI can do so that you can work smarter too. Listen to Working Smarter on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Or visit workingsmarter.ai. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Add a little curiosity into your routine with TED Talks Daily, the podcast that brings you a new TED Talk every weekday. In less than 15 minutes a day, you'll go beyond the headlines and learn about the big ideas shaping your future. Coming up, how AI will change the way we communicate, how to be a better leader, and more. Listen to TED Talks Daily wherever you get your podcasts. It's easy to imagine a world without labor unions. We're essentially living in that world now, and we are worse off as a result. Few of you probably belong to unions, but almost all of you benefit from them. It was unions that brought us the weekend. More importantly, unions built the middle class by ensuring that workers had the incomes to support families to buy homes and cars, and to dream that their children could do better than they could. It was union power and advocacy that helped us win Social Security and health insurance upon which almost all of us depend. In the 1950s, 33% of private sector workers belonged to unions. Big labor stood proudly beside big business and big government. No more. Today, only 6% of private sector workers are members of unions. With their decline in numbers came a decline in political and economic power, and the result? A significant increase in inequality a significant deterioration in the possibility of a a middle-class lifestyle for this generation or the next, and a receding chance to own a home or afford retirement. We need unions to regain the power so that we can regain what we have lost, build a better future, 
and help forge democracies that are built on a decent social contract between citizens and government and among citizens themselves. Yes, we need unions today as much as ever. As a professor of political science and someone who has studied labor unions for a long time, I can tell you that one of the most important things that unions do is to counterbalance the power of corporations. They even the playing field. Yes, we need unions, but we need better and different unions that are more attuned to the 21st century. Let's picture the world before unions. Small children toiling all day and even into the night in noisy, polluted factories. Or immigrant women workers jumping from a burning sweatshop because the fire escapes were locked so that they could not take breaks. But unions changed that by winning protections for workers. They transformed lives. They enabled even the worst off to achieve the American dream. Consider the longshore workers, those who load and unload ships. In the morning, the boss came and yelled all along the shore, thus the name Longshore. They pleaded for the scarce jobs, just as migrant day laborers do today at places like Lowe's and Home Depot. It was humiliating, degrading. But when the unions won the right to organize and won contracts, the wharf rats became lords of the dock. They became middle class. They could marry. They could support families, they could send their children to college, they had health insurance and benefits. They had dignity, respect, they were full American citizens. Unions enabled others to attain the American dream by raising wages generally and by reducing wage disparities between men and women and among the races. My research has shown me that with every transformation in the economy, the technology, the way we work, there has been an evolution in the labor movement. Craft unions, think construction work or even beer making, emerged from medieval guilds. With the rise of industry, auto, steel, new forms of organization emerged. When white-collar workers in offices, in government, in healthcare, in professions, began to work, want voice and representation, yet another kind of union developed. In my mind, in my ears, is Dolly Parton singing 925, inspired by a real-life union of that name. When you hear that song, thank the unions for a decent working day. History shows that unions helped people get dignity, rise out of poverty, 
inhibit workplace dangers and harassment, and improve health and well-being of us all. These are not yesterday's problems. Workers of today still need and want unions. An MIT survey revealed that 50% of the non-union workforce would join a union if given a chance. So, Margaret, if unions are so great, why are they in such serious decline? Because the odds are stacked against them. Many of you have read about the Amazon warehouse workers who failed to win a union representation election in Alabama. They failed because of concerted employer opposition. Indeed, there are many employers and, and politicians who are preventing the reform of labor laws passed nearly a century ago in another era and another economy. These are laws that inhibit agriculture and domestic workers from organizing, largely black and brown workers. They make it hard for workers in the gig economy to organize, those we call forth with our apps, rideshare, delivery service, specialized tasks. There are employers and politicians who are pushing states to pass right-to-work laws, laws that abolish the requirement that those who are covered by union contracts have to pay union dues. This effectively kills the unions. Many workers in 27 states do not have to pay for the benefits the unions provide for them. States that include Michigan, Indiana, and Wisconsin, former union strongholds. And society loses big. A recent study revealed that in right-to-work law states, there is slower economic growth, higher consumer debt, lower wages, worse health outcomes, and lower civic participation than in states without such laws on the books. But it's not just employers and politicians that are holding unions back. Unions are a cause of some of their own problems. Some unions are extremely bureaucratic, stifling debate and innovation. Some union leaders are corrupt, rigging elections, paying themselves humongous salaries, even when they represent very low-income workers, and some commit felonies. Jimmy Hoffa is the notorious example of a labor leader who went to prison. But just this year, several high-ranking officials in the United Auto Workers were sentenced for embezzlement. Now, many critics, possibly some of you, blame unions for inflation. When wages go up, consumer prices go up. True enough, but so does the standard of living for workers. And we, as taxpayers, benefit from higher standards of living by workers. The pandemic gave us the term essential workers. If those in grocery, warehousing, food processing, delivery 
Had strong unions, indeed, any unions at all, there would have been no need for federal programs for those who have jobs to feed their families and prevent evictions. Now, there are many reasons for union decline, including structural ones, the decline in union jobs in manufacturing. But a major reason is public lack of awareness, even misinformation, about the value of unions. Well before President Reagan fired the striking air controllers in 1981, there has been concerted and continuous opposition by employers and politicians to undermine unions. Employers net no longer suppress unions by hiring private armies, like U.S. Steel, Ford, and the coal companies did. Now they hire very high-priced consulting firms to do that work. Po elected officials may no longer call out the police and the National Guard to cart labor organizers off to jail. Now they pass legislation that restricts union organizing and power. But workers are beginning to fight back, as the headlines reveal. They are building solidarity across racial, ethnic, religious, partisan divides. Martin Luther King exhorted us to, to enwrap ourselves in a single garment of destiny. I have observed several unions that I've studied build expanded and inclusive communities of fate in which large numbers of others recognize that their destinies are entwined despite differences and distances. This doesn't always happen, but it can, and it must. We need, as, as employees and citizens, to build solidarity through communities of faith that crosses geographies and differences. But to do that, we need to reimagine labor unions for now. The labor movement must evolve as it has in the past, even producing possibly alt-unions, alternatives to unions, alternatives to traditional unions. Workers in gig professions, tech, don't necessarily want a traditional union, but they do want influence over their wages, working conditions, and even the policies of their companies. And they are reimagining old approaches and coming up with new ones in order to build worker voice and power. Some are reconfiguring worker cooperatives, employer, employee-owned businesses in which the workers determine wages, working conditions, and distribution of profits. This is not a pipe dream. Mondragon in Spain has over 80,000 employee owners, takes in over $13 billion a year, and redistributes its profits to build worker skills and capacities among its member cooperatives. A newer approach is to use platform technologies to teach workers their rights. In our global, hyper-connected, and socially isolating world, 
Platforms such as coworker.org or Unit recognize and address the fact that there is a mobile workforce that no longer has water coolers or lunchrooms around which to gather and strategize. These platforms provide workers with a way to share experiences, access organizing resources, and build networks at scale across geographies and employers. Coworker.org had a huge win with Alphabet, the parent company of Google, a giant among tech form, firms. Alphabet workers recognize that they are part of a community of faith that crosses large distances. They have been protesting Google's contracts with the Pentagon and with immigrant, immigration authorities. They have normal, run-of-the-mill economic union demands, but they also have the political demand that they should have a say over company policies that affect them and us. Now, whatever you thought of unions in the past, I hope, I hope that these examples have revealed to you what they can be today and for tomorrow. Unions once significantly reduced income inequality, the gap between the rich and the poor. They can again. Billionaires are building rockets to explore outer space. This is so exciting. But equally exciting are the workers who are providing the goods and services on which those billionaires we all depend, exploring new ways to gain power and voice. If even some of these explorations succeed, workers will gain dignity, economic security, and the power to challenge employers and politicians. The result? The resuscitation of the middle class and a far more equitable society. Thank you. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Support for the show comes from Brooks Running. I'm so excited because I have been a runner, gosh, my entire adult life. And for as long as I can remember, I have run with Brooks Running Shoes. Now I'm running with a pair of Ghost 16s from Brooks. Incredibly lightweight shoes that have really soft cushioning. It feels just right when I'm hitting my running trail that's just out behind my house. You now can take your daily run in the better than ever Go 16. You can visit brooksrunning.com to learn more. Oh my goodness, I just learned a ton about unions from Margaret. I had no clue that unions did so much to shape my work life. But I did see how they shaped my home life, particularly as a kid. 
When I was growing up, my dad was a member of the DC 37 Local 371 Union. And although he's retired, he is still a dedicated union member. In fact, the weekend before Labor Day, I went to visit him and my mom, and he was about to leave for a Labor Day union event. Makes more sense why now. Thank you, unions, for Labor Day. My dad's dedication, even now, stems from the sense of meaning and purpose he gets from being a member of the union. In some of his proudest moments, he educated young people about the benefits of belonging to the union and encouraged the youth to register to vote, reminding them that people lost their lives for that right. He found it empowering to advocate for others in a like-minded community. He loved the diversity and over the years got to work with others who were different from him but dealt with similar problems. The union was an outlet, a social outlet, a venting outlet, a vehicle to problem-solve with other people. It was a source of joy and pride. Thinking about my dad's experience makes me wonder when I've had a similar feeling at work. And you know what comes to mind? All the black affinity groups I've been a member of in my educational experiences and in my career. These are also known as employee resource groups, which traditionally served those who were underrepresented in organizations or with marginalized identities. I belong to several of these groups, including Umoja in high school the Black and African Student Associations at Harvard, the African American Student Union at the Business School, Blacks at Bain. This concept of affinity groups is challenging to some. Years ago, there was a debate around their existence. Do they even function well? Or do they create more isolation from the key sources of power and influence in organizations? Should they be disbanded? And as a result of that debate, some organizations did, in fact, shut theirs down. Well, what I think we can take from Margaret's talk and from my dad's and Kevin's experiences is that people need community. They need a shared sense of identity, an opportunity to advocate on behalf of each other, to hear each other's stories, and to unite around shared issues and problem-solve as a collective not to mention the fact that the collective can be more powerful than one individual alone fighting for these issues. So rather than disbanding these affinity groups and treating them as we've treated unions, if you're a senior leader in your organization, perhaps you should learn more about what these groups are bringing to your employees that they can't get elsewhere at work. And if your organization doesn't have any affinity groups, why not? Let the people who work for you create a space to connect with others who share their interests and goals. Because if we foster these groups, who knows what could happen? The next big win for all workers, uh, something like The weekend, might just emerge. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Kiara Powell and fact-checked by Matias Salas. Special thanks to Anna Phelan, Michelle Quint, Corey Hajim, and Colin Helms. I'm Madhu Baganola. Talk to you again next week. And guess who I saw at the office last night? Kevin. Here's his reaction to the episode. 
So that's what I want to say. Are yeah, you okay that with that? Beautiful, actually. Oh, yeah. good, good. That was very well written. You make me feel like I'm doing. I am doing great. You wow. are. That's you cool. are.